What's up, friends? I got my good friend Harriet JW with me today. She is a Tutti Class member and she uh, doubled, is it fair to say, doubled the income in 30 days? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, well, that's kind of the cool part, but we're also going to talk about the granular things. Like what, what did she actually do? What does the funnel look like? I want to introduce a little bit of you. The first thing that came to mind when, and one thing that I can see in your bio is like you work with Ed Sheeran, Bastille, and huge musicians, right? So um, tell a little bit about that background story and so we can set the tone and then I'll get into the Twitter and Instagram questions. Okay, cool. So yeah, when I, I, I started this as a filmmaker, so I graduated um, art school, Central St. Martins in London and picked up a camera and basically started filming musicians. And there was this relatively new platform called YouTube that was that probably ages me a bit um but i decided to start uploading these videos to youtube uh, a lot of my peers from art school were like wanted to show in galleries and white walls and you know all the all the art art scene in london whereas i was just really excited by being able to make stuff and send it straight to the homes of people all over the world so youtube was really exciting for me so you know, I'd go out with my camera on my back, trudging the streets of London and just meet up with these musicians and film them and, and put them on the internet. Um, and it was relatively new at the time. Not a lot of people were doing it. So the kind of online PR managers that were starting to, to come around knew that I was doing it and then would send me out to, to film artists. So a lot of these artists became very famous, you know, Ed Sheeran, Bastille, Lumineers, Casey Musgraves, Fassender, like, you know, hundreds of different artists. Um, but then also what was really fun was that we'd get the older artists asking to come and, you know, film on this sort of young, cool internet channel. So we worked with like, I don't know, Stereophonics, um, the Proclaimers, you know, that I would walk 500 miles, that song. They came and filmed. So we just had this like breadth of, of like, Really, it's a thousand miles, isn't it? No. Yeah, that's what I said, isn't it? Yeah, I think you said hundred. I would walk five. It is five hundred. Really? Yeah. It's a thousand. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a di- maybe it's a different song. What? Let me let me let me ask about the about these artists. What's like? What's Ed Sheeran like? Now he's a massive success, but is he different from when he was? What he was when you met him? So the thing that I always really remember about Ed Sheeran is a his email address because it was funny obviously i don't want to say it but it was like if you imagine what ed sheeran's email address might be it was that um uh and and, you know this is this is always really funny to me because i think about you know when you're booking you know these artists and everybody knows the stories of ed sheeran about his sort of ten thousand hours and playing every stage in the world on his own with no one watching and when you know when i met him i think it was like a few weeks before his real breaking track came out. So he was doing all this booking himself. He was emailing all these channels and can I can I come on here? Can I come on here? I'll meet you here. So, you know, it was organized between me and, and Ed on, on email. Um, but yeah, he he was starting to bubble. Like people were talking about him. People were saying things. And I always remember saying to him, like, everyone's saying that big things are about to happen for you. How does that make you feel? And he said oh they've been saying that for years nothing's gonna happen and then like literally two weeks later um i can't remember which of his his first big songs it was maybe a team came out and then he was just boom everywhere 
how long did it take you from to blow up? Like, since you started to that boom, you say, how long did it take him? For him, I think probably like 10 years, maybe. I think oh, wow. he was sleeping on friends' couches and playing when he was, I think he's like maybe like 32 or 33 or something like that now. Um, so he would have been, yeah, I think he probably would have got started when he was a teenager and then just playing around, sleeping on people's couches, just doing his 10,000 hours and going for it. Crazy. You know, about, about email, it reminds me, kind of a funny story. So some, one time I was, um, you know, I was doing the sales calls for the program and uh, I, I closed this dude and I'm like, okay, well, what's your email so I can send you your invoice? And he's like, don't laugh. I'm like, of course I'm not going to laugh. Like, what do you mean? He's like, my email is thebeast6969 at gmail. <laughs> 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 I, I laughed. I still, <laughs> still almost lost the sale, though. But I left. Like that's that is what happened. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So um, I want to transition and transition a bit. I just needed to ask you about this. By the way, do, do you ever get tired of being asked kind of these questions about artists? Because I have some guys that work with, like, uh, I have some friends that worked in the past uh, with with a few like big names, and they're always so tired of being like, "Yo, what's Mr. Beast like?" Right? It's always that question. Do you ever get tired of that? Well, I think the the ones that tend to make it are the ones that genuinely put in the really hard work so most people that have made it and will get asked about are like genuinely really really great people so I think it's important to tell those stories of them being really cool and great and humble because they probably still are whereas the people that weren't as nice they're not you know they haven't made it probably because for that reason so yeah, I think that the thing that I always like never get hard of of talking about, and this is sort of fundamental to, to the whole process that I do with artists, is that it's really, really fucking hard work. <laughs> and it's really hard work for anyone that's made it. And there's this sort of narrative in the music industry that's like, whoa, they just blew out of nowhere. Most, you know, they say most overnight successes are 10 years in the making. And yeah. it's true. When, when I think about like these kind of things, I think about it as a chain. Right. So everybody has kind of this chain that represent their skills. Right. But the chain is not entirely linked. There are some parts that are long, some parts that are short. But uh, people see the overnight success because it's huge chain links that weren't chained. But then one thing clicks in and then eventually the chain looks so much longer. But you don't see what came into developing the longer chain. It's, yeah. easier, it's easier to draw. So hopefully if you're listening to this, you will understand yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Let's talk about Twitter. I want to I want to talk about this. So uh, you said before we were recording, there's a few things that you implemented into the process that kind of you, you started getting clients. What's interesting to me and the more specific you get on this, it's the better. So I'm going to go over your 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 wins here. So you posted a few a few days after you joined 10 calls booked next week from my soft launch of the checklist. What does that mean? Um, I think. It, it basically meant that I, I was giving it a go, but I wasn't fully invested yet. So I was I was probably not ticking off every single thing on the checklist, but I was starting to experiment with it. I don't know. 10 calls booked seems pretty fucking good for just a part of the checklist. <laughs> but like, let, let's get let's get specific. What what actions did you do to book those 10 calls? Yeah, so the things that have worked really well for me in terms of like 
I guess, booking calls at scale have been um, like the auto DM method that I, I just, I, I never heard of, didn't know about, had never used. Um, so that's about basically giving something really valuable away for free and then loads of leads coming in off the back of that. And, you know, one thing that I've, I've heard a few times in tweets and clients and is really, really true for me is that, um, you know, you always say good content isn't created, it's collected. And I probably have a thousand hours of like tutorials and trainings and courses and things that I've launched and then unlaunched and, and just stuff. And I think because I'm a creative as well, I was in the mindset of like, I've always got to create, I've always got to make, make more, more, more when actually there was just so much there. So, you know, something that led to like, 100 leads was giving away one of my courses that was just sitting there on Kajabi never used so I just auto DM'd it out and then it, that led to loads and loads of leads I think I have it right here I want to read it for the people listening is it about my client just makes 600 on Patreon yeah. is that is that okay so I'm going to read that uh, auto DM and maybe you can explain what you did to book calls of it because I think it's important so you posted this on my birthday actually Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. My client Jess makes 600 pounds a month on Patreon. It all started when she took my launch on Patreon course in 2021. Today, I want to give it away for free. Like this post and comment, yes, and I'll send it to you for free. Normally, 400 pounds. So by the way, uh, this is automated on Tweet Hunter or, or a tweet scheduler. It's basically if you engage, then the software automatically DMs that person something. This is really useful if you want to go viral and get sales at the same time get both likes and cash <laughs> you know what i mean but this is the auto dm walk us through how this turned into cost yeah so i posted this on twitter instagram and linkedin i started i did it on twitter first saw that it was landing well and then i repurposed it for all those platforms obviously we don't have the auto dm on linkedin or instagram so that was a lot more manual but it basically led to and it wasn't actually the smoothest of processes because we then had to get their email address and enroll them into the course. Um, so, right, and we haven't actually even finished the um, the journey from, from this auto DM. There is still more we can do with it uh, in terms of nurturing those leads. But so when people replied, the auto DM said, give us your email address. And then my VA collected all the email address, enrolled them all into the Patreon program. So I think there was about 100 people and then within that Patreon program, I added a passive kind of click here to book a call to work with us, like after the first video, maybe. So we got a bunch of calls from that. Um, and then we left it maybe a week. And then we went in back into the DMs. How are you getting on with the Patreon program? Do you have any questions? Um, some people did have questions. Some people didn't. Some people hadn't even opened it yet. So, you know, they're, they're in the system still being nurtured. Some people booked call right away. And then the next uh, move will be to email everybody that's in the Patreon program. And I might email them today, actually, and say, you know, how are you getting on with the Patreon program? Probably something around accountability and, you know, how many hundreds and thousands of people download courses and never use them and why having a coach and accountability is really important. If that's something you're interested in, book a call. Um, so that was the process now. But as I say, we're still nurturing that those hundred people that are in in the course right now i love it i one i think i want to mention two things one is you can't do auto dms on linkedin actually 
if you go to yeah if you go to taplio that's t-a-p-l-a-o l-i-o um tweet hunter it's it's tweet hunter's twin especially yeah. for linkedin you can do that on linkedin and on instagram i just use my va for that yeah. it's like um i don't know if you do it like this but the way i do it it's on stories like you make people like the story or you, or you make people you know how people can respond with a poll as yeah. in like yes or no if they respond yes then my va sends them the thing that's how we do it how did yeah. how do you do it i just hit reply with a keyword so reply patreon so just a post uh no stories mm, interesting okay and how did that work uh less well than twitter and linkedin uh but still decent i think the thing with the thing that Instagram is really good for is like nurturing the community that you do have. It's not very good at bringing new people in. So, you know, my Instagram is always the same people, always the same faces. Like some of them, you know, it takes some people ages to work with you. So, I'm, you know, I know that there's there's clients in there. But but what Twitter and LinkedIn were really good for is bringing in new people that I'd never seen before. Mm, interesting. Would you say that maybe Twitter helps you be well-known but Instagram helps you be known well. Yeah, yeah. And also Twitter and LinkedIn um, target the industry as well, whereas Instagram targets the musicians themselves. So I've had a few new clients from LinkedIn and from Twitter that <clears throat> have come through their manager or their small independent label or you know so it has led to a maybe higher level of artist whereas what's happening on instagram is there's a lot of like the fishes if we're going to talk in in your language yeah 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 i want, I want to explain that one for the for the people because there's um i believe that there's like fishes and whales when it comes to followers fishes are people who waste your time and are entertained by you whereas whales are people who you know will respect your time and are interested in you and your offer T you tend to attract fishes when they're like broke or not interested you tend to attract whales when your thing are things are very niche and uh you get them by posting whale bait so for example let's say you were targeting people your sweet spot is somebody making ten thousand dollars per month if you tweet it about how to get to ten thousand dollars a month that's fish bait because somebody making 10k wouldn't be interested in that Whereas if you tweeted how to scale from 10 to 30, how to go from single coaching to group coaching, how to set up systems, hire a VA, systemize your thing, then that is whale bait because it attracts the right people. So the whole thing about whale bait is fish are not fish are not interested in whale bait. They're just kind of repelled by it. Another example, it's for example, in my bio, I go, if you want to grow your audience, don't follow me. If you want to monetize your audience, then yeah, I, I can help. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, cool. So <clears throat> I want to I shift gears a little bit. What is, what is your method to land clients from Twitter specifically? Because like just being, just being honest, I go over your tweets. You don't have the greatest engagement in the world, but you're still getting these, you're still getting these clients. So I'm like, may, you're not DMing the people who like it or maybe, but I'm like, where are these people coming from? Hmm. So... So I so I started a Twitter years ago with with Secret Sessions and that which is your company, yeah. So so that 
the Twitter account has like a decent amount of followers, but we like had a five year gap <laughs> and didn't use Twitter. So right now I'm trying to, to sort of build it up from a content perspective and, and get more engagement and get more people interested. Um, so I'm still working out what that content style schedule all of those things looks like which is you know and and working with all of you guys and the other coaches there's just so many sort of new ideas that you can test and new formats and you know get help in 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 writing them and people checking them so that's been been really good in in getting used to what that strategy is but you know in all honesty I'm still very much what's worked so far what's worked so far um the the auto dms you know people always want something for free so giving yeah. stuff away is probably the thing that's worked the most a couple of threads that have done quite well um one thing that i'm i'm getting used to that i could go down the um the avenue of but i you know need to probably develop a bit of a thicker skin is like purposefully uh resisting the traditional industry and people can get quite annoyed with that so some things that I believe in is that musicians early on don't need managers. They need to, to do it themselves. Um, I believe that artists can hire VAs instead of PR companies. Um, I believe that plowing money into Facebook ads too early on is an you know, absolute waste. So there's all of these things that the traditional music industry do and continue to do so. Um but posting about some of that stuff can ruffle feathers and when it's ruffled feathers is often when I've had the most engagement. Um, so I'm experimenting a little bit with what that voice is and how far I'm willing to go um, in terms of getting into those debates online. Um, That's the thing, you don't, you don't need to uh, to talk to the people. They're so angry. The other, yesterday I posted, because now I say GM early because I'm in Europe, right? I'm part of the Euro team. The other day I posted advantages of being in Europe. It's I walk more, I'm more calm, I get a head start on work. Uh, disadvantages of having moved to Europe, Twitter's boring. Before America wakes up, nothing happens. Like Twitter's so boring. And somebody actually tweeted, you're not a European, go back to the Philippines. <laughs> like, wow. I love reading my fans' comments every morning. So like, you'll ne you're never going to escape that, right? It, yeah. And it's always, sometimes it gets to you, but um, you know some Twitter hack that I've tried? Turning off notifications. I just deleted the Twitter app. I don't check it. So if you, I don't know if you've done this, but I think you, you should because I saw you were getting a few hate comments as well. And maybe if you're like too stressed listening to this on Twitter, this might help. Install the minimal Twitter extension. Do you have that? No. So that allows you to hide notifications, messages, lists it it just shows you like your feed and you can like like set it in a way that not even that shows but it's just kind of more more calm yeah yeah i'll write that down yeah minimal twitter extension tap the auto dms we're giving out some game here so i want um i want to go over your wins and uh if you remember anyone of those Tell me, tell us like how, how that came to be, because I think that'll be valuable for everybody listening. So they, uh, you just started and booked 10 calls and then day three that you focused on Twitter, one paid in full 3.5 K. Do you remember how that happened? Um, 
I'm trying to remember exactly which client was, but there was there was one that that was really interesting that that came through Twitter early on, and it was this artist who I now know is a young man uh, who plays the piano, but his project is a anime character. So I've I've never worked with an artist who it isn't them, you know, it's a character, it's a project. So I started talking to this person that was an anime character and I assumed that the anime character was a representation of the artist. So I thought I was talking to essentially a teenage girl. So I was, was the like, anime character a teenage girl? It, 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 you can't see that they're teenage, but I just sort of scanned the picture and it was like a, a girl in a blue hoodie. Uh, uh, I don't know how old the character actually is, but I'd made up in my head that I was chatting to a teenage girl. And she was saying all this stuff that was like quite sort of high level when I was like, like, am I talking to a manager? What's going on here? And then she told me that she had, I don't know, 20 million streams on Spotify or something like that, was making, you know, quite a decent wage off Spotify, but was finding it hard to to monetize the audience away from Spotify. So, you know, all in all, an ideal client for me, but I still thought this was a teenage girl. I think I even asked, how old are you? Um, and then they were like, you know, I don't know, 20 something. And then I was like, okay, cool. Let's just jump on a call. Still expecting a teenage girl. And then I got this like mid 20 year old dude. And then he explained everything about the project. And actually it's, he's like complete whale client in terms of what I want to do. Because the thing that I love the most is helping people that have built something really solid, but they're struggling to get to that next step of monetization. And it's a real classic issue in the music industry that you start doing well on Spotify, but it doesn't translate to anywhere else. You've got numbers, but you don't have a fan base. Um, I've heard that. So that was something that happened really, really early on on Twitter. Likes and in cash. Likes in cash. Uh, listens in cash. Is it, are, are listens cash? They, I mean, they are, but they're, you know, huge scale. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So as an example, for a million streams, I think you get around $3,000. You're shitting me. No. Really? Yeah. Listen, say in cash. There you go. Listen, say in cash. Nobody. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What are, oh, I'm curious on this. So what are some statistics about the music industry or facts or just weird stories that you tell and people are like, no way. I didn't know that. Maybe some interesting things. 100,000 songs upload to Spotify every day. 100,000? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, uh, anything else related to money? That is, you're like, oh, that's... Uh, kind of 0.2% of artists make minimum wage from their music. That's that's 002 what what is it? Less than one percent. Less than one percent of artists make a minimum wage. What's minimum wage? Uh, I think it's like twelve thousand pounds here. Oh, okay. That 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 was kind of believable. That's I'd, I'd say like that. Where? Okay. Well, let's bring it back to like Twitter and Instagram. So Twitter and Instagram, like, what are, what is the difference between those two funnels? Can you explain how your Twitter funnel works and how your Instagram funnel works? Yeah. So. I mean, primarily the difference is, you know, at a base level, the difference is writing or filming or recording yourself. At For me, at a base level, that's what it was about. Like I used to be a filmmaker, so I was very comfortable with 
Instagram, Reels, talking to camera, filming, uploading video, all of that. So I migrated to Instagram naturally and my strategy used to just be like lots and lots of Reels. I'd probably do like a daily Reel. Um, and then I'd never really had got heavily into to, to kind of cold DMing on Instagram, but we'd, we'd talk to people that knew followers, uh, content engagers, um, and then the other thing that we'd do is go out looking for people um, that that might be potential ideal clients and and, and start conversations with them. Um, so I guess it's a, a kind of mining exercise on Instagram, looking for for people. And then the reason why I one of the reasons I decided to to focus more on Twitter this year was because I really believed I believe I believe in the power of writing, and I wasn't using it enough and I wasn't I didn't feel I was good at it um so I actually took a uh writing program I think they're your friends um and committed to writing every day for for a month um and then that led to me posting that on Twitter and on LinkedIn so I was starting to see the benefits and LinkedIn as well like I'd grown an, an all right following I think I had 6,000 followers but they were all I you know I was a real I was a real like St. Cash kind of poster. Like I'd tell stories and, you know, go for the likes. I'd, you know, post pictures of my family and my son and like all my LinkedIn community were like not even music people. I just had made a bunch of friends on there from all these sort of random industries. And then I like really flipped the switch and started just posting about music and just posting about my industry. Um, and likes turned into cash. What was I'm I'm curious. Can you give an example of how your content shifted? Like, can you give an actual example of both? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So you know, a previous. Um, so I was I've always been very public about. Uh, so I've got a son who is uh, a year, just a year and a half, and he took six years of IVF to to have, and that was something that that I always talked about very publicly. And I do think it's important to tell stories about you and who you are but they have to be coupled with stories about your work so I would get like you know thousands of likes on a story that I'd written about IVF or taking that journey or you know committing to to something and then Is IVF like a band or something no IVF's like the um to to have a baby the injections to, that you I'm sorry to that was so ignorant of me <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay go go ahead you can you can keep going i want to shut up yeah so i'd tell these like personal stories that people loved um and then i'd have loads of conversations in my dms about like that process but i wasn't making sales and then i'd and then i'd talk about music and the music industry and everyone would ignore it so i was like oh, well people just don't care about that but but what you know there's that phrase on on the internet where you have to appreciate the crickets to appreciate the crowd so you have to get through that moment of no likes and no engagement and just keep doing it and I think that's what I had to to get over was that it's going to take a while for people to understand what I do and see me as an authority in that space that's fascinating it, it aligns a lot with what we had on the call yesterday did you come to the call yesterday uh okay pulling out but I, yeah I have my own call okay well um I asked this guy um, Blake. So if, if you don't know what we did, it's we hosted a 100,000 plus follower only call for tweets and clients members. So I invited my friends 
and we all kind of had this interesting format where you could ask anyone a question. If they wanted to answer the question, they could. And then they could ask somebody else, right? So that allowed everybody to be like kind of nosy about everybody's systems. But it also didn't force you to ask or answer if you didn't want to. And I asked one guy, Blake Rocha, that's Mr. 4284 with F-O-U-R, not the four, and eight with eight, E-I-G-H-T. You can tell I'm really good at spelling. But uh, <laughs> so I asked them, what's your mix between going viral and, um, and niche content? How do, you, how do you do that? Because he sells an Airbnb course, and you wouldn't be interested in that if you don't own an Airbnb. And to own an Airbnb, you need to you know, have some money. So I asked him about it, how you do it. And he's like, because his content is all about like his hero story, like from when he was broke to now he's rich. Mm-hmm. It's like, you got to go and cast as broad of a net as possible. Get everybody in, get virality in. So that's the likes portion. But the cash portion comes with exactly what you said right now, which is telling your story and nailing it back to to music or in that or in his case his airbnb thing so that kind of challenged my beliefs a little i thought it was all about being niche but it's like i remember what we did at tweet hunter one time i i, I really like illustrating ideas hmm. i enjoy that a lot like in posting pictures of it uh, and getting that validation so i posted one that got a ton of likes right but then in the end i nailed it to all this virality was possible because of twitter join tweet hunter below when I did that, Tebow, who was my co-founder at the time, said, bro, I need you to stop. I'm like, what do you mean you need me to stop? He's like, we're getting too many leads. Like, this is too much. I'm like, oh, well, that's a good problem to have, right? So I kinda, it kind of reinforced that. What you said is cast a broad net, but relate it back to your story. Because if you just cast a broad net, you're, you're left with that. You need to like narrow it down related to your offer. And your story. So do you want to share like maybe how you do that? How do you cast that and then you kind of narrow it down? Yeah. So I'm actually um, doing this at the moment. Like what I've done is like I've almost gone a bit too far the other way, I'd say. So what I'm working out now is like how to get my personality across and my story across in written form. Like I find it quite easy on on video. So, you know, I can pick up a phone and, and, you know, talk about anything and it's easy to like have a bit of a laugh or show, you know, a side of your personality on video. So what I'm trying to do is develop my writing style so I can still do that. Um, but I think one of the, one of the things that I always talk about and what I guess I'm probably known thought for, which could be a detriment because it, 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 it's, it's hard work basically. And I think, you know, the story of secret sessions is that, I probably worked, posted 200 videos that I shot, edited, went out and filmed myself, booked um, five years of live shows, you know, hundreds of artists stood on that stage, thousands of audience members, still didn't make any money at this point. 10 million views on YouTube, still didn't make any money at this point. Like hammering, hammering, keep going, keep going, keep going. You had 10 million views on YouTube and you didn't make money from 10 million views? Made like 100 quid a month or something. Wow. That's crazy. That's that's the that part of that is to do with the music industry and that you have to attribute half of the money to to the artist, um, but you know, yes, that was hard work and it was hard not making any money. But also that's the sort of 
fundamental message to everything that I do now. Like, yes, it does take time. Yes, it does take scale. Yes, you do have to put in the hours in order to have any kind of success. Um, so stories around that is what works quite well for me. So it, it could be that I'm telling a story about someone else, like Ed Sheeran or Mahalia, who came on our show when she was... Could you tell one so we can like see you do it live? It, what, tell one about me or about an artist? A, sto a story and related to... Um... Essentially, an example of a broad net that narrows down to you. Yeah, okay. So, I think if I, you know, the, the, the story of, of the artist Mahalia, when, when she was around 2020 or 19, maybe a few years ago, she really broke into the mainstream R&B. And, you know, had some really big songs, was on the radio. Everybody was talking about this artist, Mahalia, who actually had just come out of nowhere. And how did this happen? You know, this young um, black artist from Leicester has just come onto the R&B mainstream and took it by storm. When actually, I can tell you that in 2012, this young 13-year-old girl came into an East London pub with her whole family, super nervous, too nervous to even have an interview, and we filmed her singing this song that every single person in that room stopped dead. You could not hear a sound because everybody was listening to this 13-year-old girl. You could have a pin, you could see a pin drop. You saw um, the other cameraman who's like a big beardy 40-year-old man see a tear drop down. And this girl had the power to like literally connect with anyone. It was just her and her acoustic guitar. Everyone's standing around. She finishes playing. Everyone starts cheering. Oh, my God, that was amazing. She goes back to being this super shy girl. So that's 2011. And then no, there's nine years in between 2011 and hearing her on Radio 1. And what happened in that nine years was her developing, committing, posting content, telling her story, playing stages, playing to empty rooms. And then she breaks into the mainstream and everyone says she's come from nowhere. And actually, it's that hard work that so many people aren't willing to do and so many people aren't willing to put in. And that's across business. It's across music. The internet has made everyone believe that you can just come out of nowhere, become an influencer, go viral without any hard work. But there's always years and years of hard work behind it. And then you help them through that hard work and then you kind of tailor it back to your offer? Yeah, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how it's done. You just, you know, you say you have trouble with this kind of shit. We're like, record yourself, transcribe it. You're good to go. Post that. Let, that's good to go for Twitter. I love that story. I loved it. And I think that it really made, I don't know, like, I don't know shit about music, but I kind of felt connected to this girl. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it was good. I liked it. Mm. People, like, here, people underestimate stories. They're so big. Like, like, and it kind of sounds like, Woo woo, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell this story. It's like, yeah, you might as well be a fairy, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> when you tell those, they really are ingrained in people's heads. Like, right now, you were talking about how you got to cast a brunette and then narrow it down. But when you told that, I feel like people can relate mm. to that and kind of get it back to you, which kind of makes me think I should post more stories. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the. I think it's the, I think what people were scared of, I think what you need to do is like learn a few story formats, like learn some kind, not you, one needs to learn some like fundamentals around how stories are made because what's, what's hard 
and you'll hear this, you know, when you get like five minute long voice note from your friend and you're like, you could have said that in like 10 seconds. And for the internet, especially for Twitter, you need to get all of those words and put them into like, you know, a thread or, or even a tweet. And that's what I think is really hard with storytelling. It's the condensing. What are some, what are some storytelling frameworks? Do you have any? Yeah, so I've, I think I've I've learned, you know, some of the main ones. And I think fundamentally what they're mostly based on is that um, Joseph Campbell, Hero of a Thousand Faces, which is basically that every story is, is made in the same way. So you can take any film, take Forrest Gump or The Lion King, and it always starts in, like, the ordinary world. So not much is happening. There's a character that... Um, you know, some people will call call them the hero um, and the character wants something that they don't have and then they go on a journey to get that thing. So in The Lion King, it's like Simba going off and meeting Pumbaa and Timon. In Forrest Gump, it's him going off and meeting Bubba and Lieutenant Dine. And then they always come back to the world a changed hero. And And so that's the sort of story that you need to tell in in content or online and you know, there's lots of different versions of this being kind of reconstructed. So like Russell Brunson does the Epiphany Bridge script. That's just that, repurposed and owned. Donald Miller does story brands. That's just that, <laughs> repurposed for the internet. But essentially all you need to do is you need to have a hero that um, also Justin Welsh has done it as well and his program repurposed. He calls it like, I don't know, create a backstory or something. But all you need to do is have a hero that has a problem that meets somebody that helps them with their problem. They go through a transformation and they're a changed person. That's huge. I love that. I love that. Like, I want to geek out on this because the guy I asked, Blake, he said, like, it all kind of, I haven't really wrote it down and really understand it, but it sounds like all kind of pointing down to this concept, which I want to call the the you funnel. So when, when Blake, when I asked Blake the question, uh, how, what's your mix between niche and broad content? He said, I want to cast a brunette, but I want to attract people not to my offers. I'm not funneling people into my offers. I'm funneling people into me. Mm. And to me, that was so interesting because he used to run a trading. I think it's a trading program uh, or, a, or a trading community, whatever. And then he switched to Airbnb and it was completely different, completely like something completely that's not related. And he said that he was worried that he was not going to be able to monetize that if he went from trading audience to Airbnb audience, but he said he didn't have problems with it. Mm. He said, because people switched, people believed in me. People didn't believe in the offer. People believed in me. I funneled people into my life, not into that. So that's what made it mm. easier. Mm. So to me, that was game changing as in like, you're not following people into offers. You're funneling people into you and then you can launch other things and yeah it's yeah. gonna work like alex becker had he talked about i think it was you know ads and uh, and facebook stuff but then it's like he switched to crypto people still fall fo mm. into crypto because they followed alex there was a connection with mm. the influencer not the offer itself yeah yeah and if you think about the three things that y people need to do business with you they need to know you they need to like you and they need to trust you all of those things come across in storytelling like it's a lot harder to be an arsehole online to someone if you know them and you know what they like and you know their history and you know their family and you tell some of those stories um 
And I think you, yeah, you, you make that, I guess, more sort of tied to bond with your followers as opposed to this sort of just constantly giving educational, 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 like educational stuff is great. But if you're going to have, you know, if people are going to come into your program and they're going to know you and they're going to be, want to be on calls, group calls with you, they need to like you and they need to know you and they need to trust you. And that's about understanding that you're a human being as well. So telling those stories, I think is really important, but also curating those stories. So you're not just spilling everything on the internet all the time, you know, I want to expand on what you just said. I like it. So how to get people to know you write broad content, try to like aim for actually getting, getting impressions. In this case, likes they're not cash, but they're part of the equation. Okay. Yeah. So, so how do you get people to know, um, know you? It's you cast that broad content. How do you get people to like you? It's that kind of relatability that you and I are talking about these stories. How do you get people to trust you? That's proof of competence, mm. testimonials showing what you've done. And I think that mix is kind of the healthy mix uh, in content. Obviously, there's no right or wrong approach, but yeah. Uh, well, there is a rug approach. It's taking the likes our cash. Yeah. But it, it, this, this, I think it's closer to the answer. You know what I mean? But I think to add to that like level, which I think a lot of people struggle to do is, um, and this is where that hero story comes into play, is like adding a level of vulnerability, like making sure that you show people that it wasn't always easy. And like going back to Ed Sheeran, that's him talking about when he was sleeping on people's couches for 10 years. And you see a lot of people on 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 Twitter actually more than anywhere is that they're just doing that like flash the cash stuff. And actually, I don't think it makes them likable. And I wouldn't want to work with those people because they're not likable because they never show that vulnerability. Like when you tell your story about how you started as a VA and then, you, you know, you built and sold a company for millions of pounds. That makes you warm to somebody because you know that they've been where where you were. And I think it's really important to make sure that you create that kind of content so it's not all just like standing next to your Ferrari and your women and all of that. I like it. By the way, now I we have a rule of tweets and clients. If somebody has a sports car on their profile picture, cancel the call. Like they're yeah. not going to buy. It's just not going to happen. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be bad. But um, wow. Um, I thought it was a great, this was a great podcast. I don't, I don't really have much more, but uh, what do you think? Cool. Yeah. I enjoy it. I really, I like getting into that more sort of the the why and the brand stuff because you know it's it's so important for for all of us but it's it's really important for artists and I think a lot of them don't do that they you know a, a what is it we say like ten ten percent music ninety percent marketing and people hate it when we say that but you know there's there's nothing like a a good song and a great story is better than a great song and a shit story. I think that goes hard. There you go. You should tweet that. I I like that. I like that. Do it right now. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it to tie it back to like another field because these things like really cross pollinate and jujitsu. So jujitsu isn't a very popular sport, mm-hmm. and um, for example, because it, it's not enjoyable to watch. Like if you watch a UFC fight, it's it's really easy to see who's winning. Oh, this guy kicked the other guy in the face. Like he's probably losing. Right. Whereas in jujitsu, sometimes it's not that friend, expectator friendly. Yeah. So the best coach in the world, arguably John Danaher, teaches his students: you not only have to be really good on the mat, but off the mat, be like an image that people see you. It's 
I mean, how you're going to fight for an hour every, every quarter. You're going to be doing marketing every other hour of the quarter. Mm -hmm. right? So get good at the marketing aspect. It's not just about the fighting aspect. You need to get eyeballs to your stuff, mm -hmm. right? And then you prove your competence on the map. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I thought it was a great episode. Harriet, where can people find you and why should people find you? Um, you can find me at Harriet JW. So H-A-R-R-I-E-T-J-W on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Or you can find me inside the private tweets and clients Slack channel posting my wins. All right. Well, thank you for this. And um, I'll see you in the Slack. All right. See you later.